Book Two, Chapter Three of Strangers and Pilgrims. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Book Two, Chapter Three. Bianca's heart was coldly frosted o'er with snows unmelting an eternal sheet, but his was red within him like the core of old Vesuvius with perpetual heat. And oft he longed internally to pour his flames and glowing lava at her feet. But when his burnings he began to spout, she stopped his mouth and put the crater out. The Derby day was over, an exceptionally brilliant Derby run under a summer-like sky roads gloriously dusty western breezes blowing the favorite a famous french horse triumphant everybody except perhaps the bookman and sundry other mistaken spectators elated mrs cinqmars seeing her way to a twelve-month supply of piver and jovan elizabeth also a considerable winner of the same species of spoil the viscount was not altogether delighted by the great event of the day he had withdrawn his own entries two or three months ago but had backed a yorkshire horse from whitehall somewhat heavily sceptical as to the merits of the frenchman it's all very well while he's among french horses he had said winning your grand prix and that kind of thing but let him come over here and lick a field of genuine english blood and sinew if he can the frenchman had accepted the challenge and had left the pride and glory of many a british stable in the ruck behind his flying heels couldn't have done it if there wasn't english blood in him said the viscount grimly as he pushed his way within the sacred precincts to see the jockey weighed i wish i had some money on him instead of the pleasing idea of that potful of money which he might have secured by backing the frenchman lord paulyn had a cargo of gloves to provide for the fair spectators whose eager championship of the stranger he had smiled at somewhat scornfully half an hour ago to say nothing of far heavier losses which only such estates as the paulyn domains could bear easily i shall pull up on ascot he thought and was not too sorry to resign the reins to mr cinqmars during the homeward journey while he abandoned his powerful mind to a close calculation of his chances for the next great meeting he was a man with whom the turf was a serious business a man who went as carefully into all the ins and outs of horse-racing as a great financier into the science of the stock exchange and he had hitherto contrived to make his winnings cover all his stable expenses and even at times leave a handsome margin beyond them above all things he hated losing and his meditative brow as he sat beside mr cinqmars bore a family resemblance to the countenance of the astute dowager when she gave herself up to the study of her private ledger even elizabeth's fresh young voice running gaily on just behind him did not arouse him from his moody abstraction he had been all devotion during the drive to epsom and miss luttrell's coldness and incivility 
which of late had been marked had not been sufficient to repel or discourage him what did he care whether she was civil or uncivil he rather liked those chilling airs and angry flashes from brilliant eyes they gave a charm and piquancy to her society which he had never found in the insipid amiability of other women what did it matter how she flouted him he meant to marry her and she of course meant to marry him it was not to be supposed that any woman in her right mind would refuse such an offer and in the meanwhile these coldnesses and little bitter speeches and disdainful looks were the merest coquetries a benedict and beatrice or catherine and petruchio kind of business see how uncivil that fair shrew was at the outset and how much she bore from her newly wedded master afterwards lord paulyn smiled to himself as he thought of petruchio i've got a trifle of that sort of stuff in me he said to himself complacently what is the matter with lord paulyn asked elizabeth of mrs cinqmars when they were changing horses at mitcham and the viscount's gloom became for the first time obvious to her she had been too busy to notice him until that moment agreeably employed in discussing the day's racing with a couple of cavalry officers particular friends of mr cinqmars who were delighted with the privilege of instructing her in the mysteries of the turf she had a way of being intensely interested in whatever engaged her attention for the moment and was as eager to hear about favourites and jockeys as if she had been the daughter of some yorkshire squire almost cradled in a racing stable and swaddled in a horse-cloth i'm afraid he's been losing money said mrs cinqmars as the viscount descended to inspect his horses and refresh himself with brandy and soda he ought to have back the foreigner he does look rather glum doesn't he does he mind losing a little money exclaimed elizabeth incredulously i don't think there are many people who like it answered mrs cinqmars laughing but he is so enormously rich i should have thought he would hardly care about it i know that lady paul and his mother is very fond of money but for a young man to care i should have thought it impossible very low isn't it said major bolding one of her instructors in the science of racing but rather a common weakness so very human only it's bad form to show it as paulin does it's only rich people who have a genuine affection for money remarked mrs cinqmars a poor man never keeps a sovereign long enough to become attached to it the examination of his team did not tend to improve the viscount's temper they had sustained various infinitesimal injuries in the journey to and from the course so he refreshed himself by swearing a little in a subdued manner at his grooms who had nothing to do with these damages and then consumed his brandy and soda in a sullen silence only replying to mr cinqmars lively remarks by reluctant monosyllables can't you let a fellow alone when you see he's thinking he exclaimed at last i wouldn't think too much if i were you paulin said mr cinqmars in his genial happy-go-lucky manner i don't believe you've the kind of brain that can stand it 
i've made a point of never thinking since i was five-and-twenty i go up to the city and do my work in a couple of hours with pen ink and paper all my figures before me in black and white not dancing about my brain from morning till night and from night till morning as some men let them dance when i've settled everything on my desk i give my junior partner his orders and before i've taken my hat off the peg to leave the office i've emptied my brain of all business ideas and perplexities as clean as if i'd taken a broom and swept it all very well while you're making money said the viscount but you couldn't do that if you were losing perhaps not but there are men who can't make money without wearing their brains out with perpetual mental arithmetic men who carry the last two pages of their banking book pasted upon the inside of their heads and are always going over the figures those are the men who go off their nuts by the time they're worth a million or so and cut their throats for fear of dying in a workhouse come i say paulin i know you're savage with yourself for not backing the foreigner but you can put your money on him for the ledger and come home that way very likely when there's five to four on him cried the viscount contemptuously then brightening a little he inquired what was to be the order of things that night at the rancho we've a lot of people coming to dinner at nine or so and i suppose my wife means a dance afterwards like cremorne said lord paulin mind your wife makes miss luttrell stay oh of course we couldn't afford to lose the star of the evening a fine girl isn't she added mr cinqmars glancing critically upwards at the figure in the front seat of the drag a fine girl echoed the viscount contemptuously she's the handsomest woman i ever set my eyes on bar none lord paulin improved considerably after this and when he went back to the box-seat took care that major bolding had no further opportunity of demonstrating his familiarity with the arcana of the turf he engaged the whole of elizabeth's attention and was not to be rebuffed by her coldness and took upon himself the manner of an acknowledged lover a manner which was not a little embarrassing to the plighted wife of malcolm ford i must make an end of it as soon as possible she thought i don't know that today's amusement has been worth the penalty i have to pay for it the drag was crossing clapton common an admiring crowd gazing upward at the patrician vehicle as it towered above wagonettes baroques landaus hansoms and costermongers trucks when elizabeth gave a little start of surprise at recognizing a face that belonged to hawley it was only the rubicund visage of a hawley farmer a man who had a family pew at st clement's and who dutifully attended the two services every sunday with an apple-cheeked wife and a brood of children he was one of a very hilarious party in a wagonette a party of stout middle-aged persons of the publican order who were smoking vehemently and had wooden dolls stuck in their hat-bands she saw him look up and recognize her with ineffable surprise and immediately communicate the fact of her presence to his companions whereat there was a general upward gaze of admiring eyes more or less bedimmed by dubious champagne what's the matter asked lord paulin perceiving that slight movement of surprise nothing 
i saw a person i know in a wagonette only mr treby a farmer who goes to papa's church but i was surprised at seeing him here not very astonishing the derby is a grand festival for provincials and we are such an unenlightened set in the west we have no great races for a yorkshireman now there is nothing to see in the south his own racecourses are as fine as anything we can show him here elizabeth was silent she was thinking how mr treby would go back and tell the little world of hawley how he had seen her perched high up on a gaudy yellow-bodied coach one of two women among a party of a dozen men dominating that noisy dissipated-looking crowd with a pink-lined parasol between her and the low sunlight and she was thinking that the picture would hardly seem a pleasing vision to the eyes of malcolm ford she had meant of course to tell him of her day at epsom but then the same things might seem very different described by herself and by mr treby she tried to take comfort from the thought that after all mr treby might say very little about the encounter and that the little he did say might not happen to reach malcolm's ears malcolm dear name only to breathe it softly to herself was like the utterance of some soothing spell after that glimpse of mr treby's rubicund visage in the wagonette her spirits flagged a little she was glad when the drag passed putney bridge how brightly ran the river under the western sun how gay the steep old-fashioned street with its flags and open windows and noisy taverns and lounging boating men the scene had a garish tawdry look somehow and her head ached to desperation she was very glad when they drove into the cool shades of the rancho oh yes thanks i've had a most delightful day she said in reply to mr cinqmars inquiry as to her enjoyment of the great festival but the noise and the sunshine have given me a headache and i think if you would let me go home at once it would be best for me go home nonsense my dear your aunt is to dine with us and take you back after our little dance it's only half past seven you shall have a cup of green tea then lie down and rest for an hour and you'll be as fresh as a rose by nine o'clock turner take miss luttrell to the blue room and make her comfortable this order was given to a smartly dressed maid who had come to take the ladies cloaks and parasols elizabeth gave a little sigh of resignation if it were possible to grow sick to death of this bright new world all in a moment such a sickness seemed to have come over her but from the maelstrom of pleasure be it only the feeblest provincial whirlpool swift and sudden extrication is for the most part difficult i will stop if you wish she said but my head is really very bad in spite of her headache however miss luttrell appeared at the banquet which was delayed by tardy arrivals till about a quarter to ten brightest amongst the brilliant mrs chevenix was there in her glory on the right hand of mr cinqmars and was fain to confess to herself 
that the society which these people contrived to get about them was by no means despicable a little fast undoubtedly and with the masculine element predominating somewhat obviously but it was pleasant when venturing out on one's own strictly correct circle to find oneself among so many people with handles to their names lord paulyn had by this time entirely recovered his equanimity and had contrived to take elizabeth into dinner a somewhat noisy feast at which everybody talked of the event of the day as if it were the beginning middle and end of the great scheme of creation the wide windows were all open to the spring night hanging moderator lamps shed their subdued light upon a vast oval table which was like a dwarf forest of ferns stephanotis and scarlet geranium it was quite as good as dining out of doors without the inconveniences attendant upon the actual thing a little after eleven o'clock there came a crash of opening chords from a piano cornet and violin artfully hidden in a small room off the drawing-room and then the low entrancing melody of a waltz by strauss the ladies rose at the sound and the greater number of the gentlemen left the dining-room with them we can leave those fellows drinking curacao and squabbling about the odds for the oaks said major bolding we don't want them this was an undeniable fact for the danseuses were much in the minority there was a sprinkling of wives of authors and actors a few dearest friends of mrs cinqmars who seemed to stand more or less alone in the world and to be freelances in the way of flirtation a young lady with long raven ringlets and a sentimental air who was said to be something very great in the musical line but was rarely allowed to exhibit her talents a stout literary widow who founded all her fashionable novels on the society at the rancho and a popular actress who could sometimes be persuaded to gratify her friends with the charge of the six hundred or the famous scene between mr pickwick and the bath magistrate elizabeth found herself assailed by a herd of eager supplicants who entreated for round dances no one ever suggested quadrilles at the rancho nor were these unceremonious assemblies fettered by the iron bondage of a program remember said lord paulyn you've promised me three waltzes if i dance at all but i don't think i shall neither shall i then answered the viscount coolly a daughter's gentleman miss luttrell doesn't dance to-night i'd rather take a refusal from the lady's own lips if it's all the same to you paulyn said major bolding the dust and heat have given me an excruciating headache and i really do not feel equal to waltzing answered elizabeth shall i get them to play a quadrille no thanks i'm hardly equal to that either and i know mrs cinqmars hates square dances never mind mrs cinqmars half a loaf is better than no bread if you'll dance the first set the lancers anything shall i tell the fellow to play the grand duchesse 
or la belle helene please don't but if you'll take me for a turn by the river i should be glad will you come auntie i don't suppose these rooms really are hot but in spite of all those open windows i feel almost stifled lord paulyn's countenance was obscured by a scowl at this proposition and mrs chevenix was quick to perceive the cloud what could elizabeth mean by this incorrigible fatuity was it not bad enough to have a country curate in the background without introducing a new element of discord in the person of this dashing major there was no time for careful diplomacy the situation demanded an audacious masterstroke lord paulyn can take care of you lizzie said the matron and i'll ask major bolding to give me his arm for i want to talk to him about my dear friends the clutterbucks relatives of yours are they not major yes tom clutterbucks something in the way of a cousin growled the reluctant major rather sulkily but they're in rome and i haven't heard of them for an age he offered his arm to the aunt instead of the niece with a tolerably resigned air however perceiving that the position was more critical than he had supposed and not wishing to mar miss luttrell's chances so mrs chevenix sailed off through the open window to the lawn a ponderous figure in purple satin and old point and elizabeth found herself constrained to accept the escort of the man she so ardently desired to keep at a convenient distance they walked slowly down to the river terrace almost in silence that scene of a moonlit garden by a moonlit river is one of those pictures whose beauty seems forever fresh from putney to reading what a succession of riverside paradises greets the envious eyes of the traveller and at sight of every new domain he cries oh this is lovelier than all the rest here would i end my days and all mankind's aspirations after a comfortable income and a peaceful existence include a river at my garden's end but it was not the tranquil splendour of the moonlight or the eternal beauty of the river that moved the soul of reginald paulyn and held him in unaccustomed silence he was angry some dull sparks at his vexation at having backed the wrong horse yet smouldered in his breast but he was much more angry at the conduct of elizabeth luttrell it was all very well to be snubbed to be trifled with to be played with as a fish that the angler means to land anon with tender care but there had been something too much of this the damsel had said one or two things at dinner that had been intended to enlighten him and had in some measure removed the bandage from his eyes he wanted to know the exact meaning of these speeches he wanted to know without an hour's delay whether she elizabeth luttrell a country parson's penniless daughter were capable of setting him at naught 
he hardly knew in what words to frame his desire and perhaps at this moment for the first time in his life it dawned upon him that the chosen vocabulary of his own particular set was a somewhat restricted language for a man in his position elizabeth made some remark about the beauty of the scene so much better than any drawing-room and he answered her mechanically and that was all that was said by either until they came to the river terrace by which time mrs chevenix and her companion who had walked briskly were at some distance from them stop a bit miss luttrell said lord paulyn coming to a sudden standstill by the stone balustrade that guarded a flight of steps leading down to the water don't be in such a hurry to overtake those two they'll get on well enough without us i want to talk to you about about something very particular elizabeth's heart sank at this ominous prelude she felt that it was coming that crisis which of late she had done her uttermost to avert i can't imagine what you can have to say to me she said with an airy little laugh and a very fair assumption of carelessness lord paulyn leant back upon the balustrade with his elbow planted on the stone looking up at her with a resolute scrutiny can't you he asked somewhat bitterly and yet i should think it was easy enough for you to guess what i'm going to say to you in plain words to-night i've been saying it in a hundred ways for the last six weeks saying it plain enough for any one to understand i should have thought any one in their senses at least and there doesn't seem room for much doubt about yours i love you elizabeth that's what i have to say and i mean you to be my wife you mean me cried elizabeth with inexpressible scorn and a laugh that stung her lover as sharply as a blow you mean me to be your wife upon my honour lord paulyn you have quite an oriental idea of a woman's position you are to fling your handkerchief to your favourite slave and she is to pick it up and bring it to you with a curtsy you never look so handsome as when you're angry said the viscount undismayed and smiling at her wrath but don't be angry with me i didn't intend to offend you i should have said the same if you had been a princess of the royal blood i only tell you what i swore to myself last november the day i first saw your face in holly church that's the woman i'll have for my wife i never yet set my heart upon anything that i didn't win it i know how cleverly you've played me for the last five weeks keeping me on by keeping me off eh but we may as well drop all that sort of thing now elizabeth you are the only woman in this world i'll ever make a viscountess of and of course you've known that all along or you wouldn't have given me the encouragement you have given me in your off-hand way don't try to humbug me i'm a man of the world and i've known from the first that it was a settled thing between you and the old woman i beg your pardon mrs chevenix encouragement cried elizabeth aghast i give you encouragement lord paulyn why i've done everything in the world to show you my indifference oh yes i know all about that you've been uncivil enough i grant you and many a man in my position would have been choked off but i'm not that kind of fellow 
you have given me as much of your society as circumstances allowed that's the grand point and you must have known that every day made me more desperately in love with you you're not going to round upon me and pretend indifference after that it would be rather too bad elizabeth was silent for a brief space conscience-stricken she had deemed this lording of so shallow a nature that it could matter little how she trifled with him he had his grand passion no doubt every season hovered butterfly-like around some particular flower in the fashionable parterre and flew off unscathed when london began to grow empty that she could inflict any wrong upon him by suffering his attentions had never occurred to her she had thought at one time even that it would be rather nice to bring him to her feet and astound him by a cool refusal and even now though she was not a little perplexed by a kind of rough earnestness and intensity in his speech and manner she did not feel a faint thrill of triumph in the idea of his subjugation it would be something to tell gertrude and diana those representatives of her little world who had sneered at the humble end of all her grand ideas there would be not a little satisfaction to her pride in being able to tell them that lord paulyn had actually proposed to her the coronet of the paulyns the airy round and top of sovereignty floated before her vision for a moment as she looked across the moonlit river phantomwise like macbeth's dagger if she had not loved that other one above the sordid splendours of the world what a brilliant fortune might have been hers as reginald was not positively obnoxious to her he was good-looking seemed good-natured had been the veriest slave of her every whim and she had grown accustomed to his society she had no doubt that he would make a very tolerable husband and as the inexhaustible source of carriages horses opera boxes diamonds yachts and riverside villas she must needs have regarded him with a certain grateful fondness had she been free to accept him but she was bound to a man whom she loved to distraction and not to be an empress would she have loosened that dear bondage it's all my aunt's fault she said after that brief pause i begged her she ought to have told you that i'm engaged to be married engaged cried the viscount engaged not since you've come to town why i know almost every fellow that's been hanging around you and they have had precious little chance unless it's someone you've met at those confounded parties on the other side of hyde park i was engaged before i came to london What? to some fellow in holly and you let me dance attendance upon you and spend three mornings a week in eaton place and follow you about to every infernal picture gallery till the greens and blues in their confounded landscapes gave me the vertigo and to every tuppenny halfpenny flower show staring at azaleas and rhododendrons and then you turn round and tell me you're engaged by miss luttrell if you mean what you say you're the most brazen-faced flirt it was ever my bad luck to meet with in half a dozen london seasons elizabeth drew herself up trembling with anger what did he dare insult her and had she really been guilty 
conscience was slow to answer that question how dare you talk to me like that she exclaimed i-i will never speak to you again as long as i live lord paulyn a woman's favourite threat in moments of extremity and generally the prelude to a torrent of words by the right you have given me every day for the last six weeks by the right which the world has assumed when it couples our names as they are coupled by every one who knows us throw me over if you like but it will be the worse for you if you do for every one will say it was i who jilted you a woman can't carry on as you've carried on and then turn round and say oh i beg your pardon it was all a mistake i'm engaged to somebody else and then suddenly with a still fiercer flash of anger he demanded who is he who is the man the gentleman to whom i have the honour to be engaged is mr ford my father's curate perhaps it would be better for you to make your complaint about my conduct to him egad i should think he'd be rather astonished if i did enlighten him a little on that score your father's curate so it's for the sake of a beggarly curate you're going to throw me over the bridge you are at liberty to insult me lord paulyn but i must insist upon your refraining from any insolent mention of my future husband and now perhaps as we quite understand each other you will be good enough to let me go to my aunt don't be in such a hurry miss luttrell said the viscount white with anger that he reginald paulyn should be rejected by any woman living least of all by a country vicar's daughter and in favour of a country curate it was not to be endured but of course she was not in earnest this pretended refusal was only an elaborate coquetry i'm i'm not a bad-tempered man that i'm aware he went on after struggling with his rising ire but there are some things beyond any man's forbearance and after leading me on as you have done that you can look me in the face and tell me you're going to marry another man i can't believe it of you no not from your own lips come elizabeth be reasonable drop all this nonsense never mind if there has been some kind of flirtation between you and ford let bygones be bygones i won't quarrel with the past but give me a straight answer like a woman of the world remember there's nothing you care for in this world that i can't give you you were made to occupy a brilliant position and i love you better than i ever loved any human creature he took her hand which he did not withdraw from him she let him hold it in his strong grasp a poor little icy cold unresisting hand for the first time it dawned upon her that she had done him a great wrong do you really care for me she asked with a serious wondering air i am so sorry and begin to see that i have done wrong i ought to have been more candid but indeed lord paulyn it is my aunt's fault i begged her to tell you of my engagement i would have told you myself even only with a feeble little laugh <laughs> i could hardly volunteer such a piece of information 
it would have been so presumptuous to suppose that you were in any danger from our brotherly and sisterly acquaintance brotherly and sisterly be hanged said the viscount you must have known that i doted on you god knows i've let you see it plain enough i've never hid my light under a bushel after this there came another brief silence elizabeth looking thoughtfully at the rippling water lord paulyn watching her face with a gloomy air come he said at last what is it to be are you going to throw me over for the sake of this curate fellow are you going to bury yourself alive in a country parsonage teaching a pack of snivelling children psalm singing you've tasted blood you know something of what life is come lizzie be just to yourself and me write this ford fellow a civil letter telling him you've changed your mind not for egypt said elizabeth turning her flashing eyes upon him eyes which a moment before had been gazing dreamily at the river you do not know how i love him yes i love the world too she went on as if answering that sordid plea by which the viscount had endeavoured to sustain his suit i do love the world its pleasures are all so new to me and i have enjoyed my life unspeakably since i've been in london yes in spite of being parted from him but i would no more give him up than i could cut my heart out of my body and live i am quite willing to admit that i have done wrong this with an air of proud humility which was very rare in elizabeth luttrell i beg your pardon lord paulyn i entreat you to forgive me and accept my friendship instead of my love you have been very kind to me very indulgent to all my caprices and tempers and believe me i am not ungrateful forgive you <laughs> he echoed with a harsh laugh be your friend when i had made up my mind to be your husband rather hard lines however i suppose friendship must count for something and as you prefer the notion of psalm singing and three sermons a sunday to a house in mayfair a yacht at cows a racing box at newmarket and stables in yorkshire i should have liked to show you my yorkshire stables and stud farm with a dreamy fondness as you have made your choice i suppose i must abide by it and we'll be friends lizzie i may call you lizzie mayn't i it's only one of the privileges of friendship you may call me anything you like if you'll only promise never to renew this subject and to forgive me for having unwittingly deceived you the viscount clasped her hand in both of his then touched it with his lips for the first time and as he kissed the little white hand with a fond lingering pressure he vowed a vow but whether of friendship and fealty or of passionate treacherous selfish love was a secret hidden in the soul of the viscount himself elizabeth accepted the kiss as a pledge of fidelity and anon began to talk of indifferent subjects with a somewhat forced gaiety as if she would have made believe that there had been no love scene between lord paulyn and herself they left the landing-place and strolled slowly on to join the major and aunt chevenix who were both sorely weary of their enforced meanderings 
the matron smiled upon elizabeth with the smile of triumph she had seen those two motionless figures from afar as she paced the other end of the long terrace with her companion and assured herself that the viscount had come to the point now as they came towards her walking side by side with a friendly air she told herself that all was well elizabeth had renounced the ways of foolishness and had accepted that high fortune which a bounteous destiny had reserved for her i said it when she was still in pinafores thought mrs chevenix that girl was born to be a peeress end of book two chapter three recording by john brandon